The Bazaar is an explicit radio program, listener discretion is advised. Welcome! Got something that might interest you. <laughs> Hello everybody and welcome back to the show in a world first, a bizarre first. We're having a repeat guest for the interviews, but you've heard his dulcet tones a lot in the past. It is Mr. David Weiner. David, welcome back to the show. I am here with my dulcet tones or something in the neighborhood of them. Excellent. Happy to be back. Happy to, to talk to you on the other side of the globe. For any new listeners, David, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is David Weiner, and I am a entertainment journalist. Um, I've got all sorts of plates spinning usually at one given time, but uh, I am the former editor of Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine. I spent many years before that working Entertainment Tonight America, uh, writing for them. And uh, I these days I write for... Hollywood Reporter, I write for LA Weekly, and I have a new project that I am directing. It's a horror documentary. It's called In Search of Darkness, A Journey into Iconic 80s Horror. Exactly, and I suppose that's why we're here today. We want to discuss that. And I have looked at the trailers, and it's currently on Kickstarter. I think by the time this airs, there will be three days left, but you, it looks like you don't need any extra funds now. You, you seem no, to absolutely no, smash that goal. Absolutely. We, we, uh, we, we met our goal in 48 hours, which is just incredible. And, uh, you know, working on stretch goals at this point, uh, but the horror community has really, really responded so positively and so encouragingly. And everyone wants to be a part of it and and contribute their two cents and i'm very excited to uh to actually get going we will be doing a uh only the 80s uh is the focus so we're focusing on all horror movies that came out in the 80s uh and it's a combination of the people who were part of that scene people who have been influenced by that scene and uh and and influencers who are fans as well and getting everyone's point of view Right, so we'll go a little bit back in time. So obviously, projects like this, they just don't appear one day on Kickstarter. It has to be organized. How early in the campaign did you get involved or how are you approached? Because I know we were speaking offline that um, you weren't there from the very beginning. That's correct. Yeah, I, I, uh, I have a friend of mine who's an entertainment journalist, a horror entertainment journalist, uh, Jessica Dwyer. Uh, she writes for Horror Hound and a variety of other fo uh, folks, and she has her own site. And she got involved as one of the producers and is doing public relations on this. This is a UK-based project. Uh, the executive producer, Robin Block, uh, put together this documentary on the heels of another documentary that he's doing called In Search of the Last Action Heroes, which is about 80s action movies. And he wants to roll out a couple of movies like these and documentaries. And so I came on uh, and talked with Robin and thought it was a wonderful project. Uh, lots of amazing talent already attached and advisors and uh, influencers. And I thought to myself, well, what, what can I do for this? And I came on as an advisor and uh, I was advising for quite some time and helping to do promotion and so on. 
And uh, now that we're in discussions of putting this actual project together, making an actual documentary, the, the nuts and bolts of, of what it's going to be and, and, and how we're going to lay it out and the structure and the narrative, uh, I was invited to direct and to, to write, to co-write, to direct, and to just help produce this piece to get it out the door. And so we're going to be doing interviews in uh, January and February uh, with upwards of 50 names and uh, some that we have yet to announce. They're all on the Kickstarter page of what we've got uh, at this stage in terms of what we've announced. We're looking to get this out in July. Superb. And what delightful names can you announce right here, right now for people that announce. don't want to do the two clicks to uh, Kickstarter? Who Who's on board so far? Uh, well, we have the likes of Mick Garris. We have Joe Dante. Uh, lots of horror icons. Uh, Adrian Barbeau, uh, Barbara Crampton, Jessica, uh, sorry, Jeffrey Combs, uh, Sean Cunningham, you know, Friday the 13th, uh, Saga, Tom Holland, Don Mancini of Child's Play and the Chucky franchise and Fright Night, um, Dee Wallace. We've got effects people like Tom Woodruff Jr. It, it, it's it's starting to become a laundry list, but what's been so wonderful is that uh, lots of horror icons and movers and shakers and craftspeople have been uh, wanting to get involved and have been uh, very, very considerate to be part of this project. So given all those names so far, do you think this could turn into like a multi-part series? Do you think maybe it's too constrained with the hour and a half? Because, you know, these interviews that I do run long enough as it is. I believe the last one with you was 90 minutes in and of itself. And <laughs> these people have lots of stories, uh, you know, regarding yes, the industry and all that. So they're just going to get 30 seconds. Yeah. So how, how do you think it's going to go? Do you think maybe you've bitten off more than you can chew? Uh, I, I think it's ambitious, but the thing is we have, uh, we actually have two things. We've got, a the 90, 90 ish minute documentary that we're going to be doing. And we also have, uh, as a stretch goal, which we're pretty much close to achieving, uh, we'll, we'll put out a three hour version approximately of this film, which will give it a lot more time to breathe. And so the question is, you know, how we're going to structure it, uh, in terms of two different films that one is an extension of the other right so you think three hours will be enough for all those legends <laughs> uh, do you have the attention span of three hours i do of course I mean, it was like looking at the trailer and i was like wow all these movies are from the 80s no wonder you're making a documentary so i think from the people you've mentioned and even just discussing the movies and if i don't know will you have like fans reaction or, or what people were doing when they're watching the movies etc it seems that there's just so much there that um it could be a multi-part series i think if you could oh it, it absolutely could in concept but this is how we're how we're starting off we'll see you know how, the, how well this does you never know you know it could lend itself to other possibilities and opportunities but we're starting uh with a limited time and uh and lots to chew on and uh i think what's been wonderful is that we have so much excitement from the fans from the people who are involved and also lots of people who are filmmakers in 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 hollywood today 
you know, who uh, are very much influenced by that, that whole decade. Um, Lee Wanell, uh, the actor-director, saw Insidious and Upgrade. Ryan Turek, who's uh, part of Blumhouse and just was uh, uh, producing the new Halloween movie. Those are just two of the names who are also attached, uh, who are going to be lending their point of view in terms of being influenced and how it influences their work. And obviously, we just have the new Halloween movie that broke insane records and made, uh, what, $77.5 million in its opening weekend in North America. Uh, there's a definite, definite hunger for this kind of stuff. Exactly. And I suppose directing-wise then, what would your experience of that be? Are you daunted at all by the task ahead? Well, I have a background of putting together a variety of pieces when I was at Entertainment Tonight and uh, to a certain point in terms of uh, in print and some video when I did uh, Famous Monsters of Filmland. And uh, I've done hundreds and hundreds of interviews, long form and short form, with a variety of filmmakers, effects people, actors. And so I have a, a healthy amount of experience doing that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm the, I'm the guy who directs from over the shoulder when someone's putting this all together. So I have lots of experience crafting cut pieces. And you basically, if you're walking in with the knowledge of knowing what you're going to be doing and, and a game plan, and you have all these wonderful people participating and you already know what this is going to be about. It's really just a question of, of um, structuring it. So it's, it's an entertaining film and it's not just talking heads, you know, just babbling on, you know, there, there's a way there, it, you know, when people hear the word documentary, they think sometimes, you know, that's a bit of a snooze, you know? So the, the, I think my challenge would be making that this extremely uh, informative yet entertaining and a and a, a, magnet, a magnetized watch, you know, a magnetic performance from all these people. I think their enthusiasm will definitely come through the screen. And if anything, after you watch this movie, it's going to make you want to rent a bunch of other movies. You're going to wish you can go back to the video store, browse through the aisles, grab some VHS tapes, and uh, have your own binge watch. So you want to make a shockumentary is really what you're saying. I'm not saying that at all, but <laughs> it might be shocking if it's entertaining. So given that it's being, I suppose, the, the hub of the whole thing is being organized through the UK and you're living in the LA region, will these interviews be done in person? Will there be a lot of traveling? Is that like what, what some of the funds are being um gathered for for you know meeting people or will people travel to you have you looked so far ahead is that yet yeah it's a variety of variety of places um a lot of it will be in los angeles some will be in europe some might be in new york we're, we're gonna have to go to certain people other places other opportunities people will have come to us uh you know sort of the central location but we'll be able to crank out a lot in a little time and uh, I will not necessarily be doing the interviews myself. That's to be determined. I might be doing some, but uh, we'll have someone who's uh, engaging enough to get great material from these folks who've talked about this for, you know, for years. And uh, sometimes it's their bread and butter, you know, doing the circuit on conventions and so on and so forth, doing Q&As and signings. 
And uh, I think I think the fandom and the fan interaction is, is a very important element of this. I think another very important element of this that we want to cover is, other than the sociopolitical context of the 80s and how horror movies reflected that, I think the, the dynamic of how people consumed movies during that time changed radically. You no longer were going to the movie theaters as often or the drive-in. You could do that, but a lot of these movies were, were small and independent, and you could only find them in the video store, and you can get them and take them home. And you didn't necessarily have to be old enough to watch these, but you still did. And then, of course, you had cable TV as well, and that was a completely different dynamic where you got to see things way ahead, <laughs> you know, in the comfort of your own home or with your family or your friends, but also sometimes, like in my experience, I mean, I saw Friday the 13th way, way before I should have, but it was available to me and I wanted to see it because I wanted to see what all the hype was. And, you know, I'm still slightly scarred from, you know, Jason jumping out of the lake and grabbing the girl at the tail end. But that's the kind of stuff that I think uh, is a bit of a collective experience that we want to capture. So obviously before I knew you were involved, I was seeing on social media, you're sort of marketing the handle is 80s horror doc and mm -hmm. it's in search of darkness is the actual name do you think given that horror is not new i suppose you have like nosferatu from like the 20s so it's nearly 100 years of horror do you think the success and the i suppose the symbolism and iconism if that's even the right word um of 80s is due to like vhs mass market appeal that everyone might have got their hands on some sort of tape of these uh, video nasties, as they might have said in the UK. Yeah, that's right. The video nasties is a big deal. That's something that we didn't have stateside, but we had things like, you know, we had bootlegs. And I remember very specifically, arguably this, this may or may not be horror, but I remember there was a movie called Faces of Death. And this was sort of the, the tape that was the the it had a real mystique about it you know not everyone could get it you couldn't always get it in a video store necessarily at first and so your friends would get a hold of it and it would be a bootleg copy and you'd pop in this tape and it was supposedly a bunch of footage of people dying in real time and so you could watch this and discuss it and debate whether or not what you just saw was real or you know, you just say, oh, it's no big deal. And then, of course, you lie in your bed at night staring at the ceiling, shocked. <laughs> and then, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder the next day. You know, that's part of the experience that makes it really fun. But yeah. to, to to answer your question where you've got 100 years of horror, um, there really aren't many documentaries that I can think of that they, they zero in on the 80s and only the 80s. And the 80s horror scene was very transformative. And so we're, we're aiming to be the definitive documentary on 80s horror and the impact that it had and everything from, you know, the more mainstream, really well-known films to the real sort of indie uh, head scratchers and, and, and ones that bring smiles to only a hardcore horror fan's face. Right. And given that it's being crowdfunded, do you think you're going to have maybe a limited cinema release or is it just going to be all distributed online? Well, it, you know, we'll make copies for the people who have backed us. Uh, plus there's other fun stuff like, you know, T-shirts and posters and very cool incentives to answer that question that's still in the works. The idea is to get it in addition to our own distribution of the backers. Uh, 
some sort of distribution that uh, it would, you know, likely be a, a cable arrangement, you know, a Netflix type arrangement. Very good. And I suppose, given your involvement and you have written for Famous Monsters, what would be, since it's just going to be after Halloween when people are listening to this, what is your kind of first, uh, two questions, your first horror memory because as you said you're getting ptsd from faces of death and 30 years later you're you're, <laughs> you're making a documentary <laughs> getting over your fears and what is your first or favorite halloween memory well well my first or favorite halloween memory just to go down that rabbit hole is um i think i've got two very early halloween memories one was and this is might be horrific just in concept is uh, I was I was really in love with Felix the Cat, the cartoon, and my mom made a Felix the Cat costume for me, pretty much drawing whiskers on my face, and she kind of made this this homemade costume that I walked out that door with with tremendous pride. I'd, I'd ring every doorbell, and and they'd say, "And who are you?" And I and I'd look at them like, "How could you not know I look like Felix the Cat?" But I looked like a prison convict because. I had this sort of black and white vertical striped suit. <laughs> it looked more like a zoot suit than Felix the Cat. And I couldn't, I just could not fathom why people didn't realize I wasn't Felix the Cat. But, uh, <laughs> see, that's a horrific story, right? That's not a nice memory. <laughs> I think it's a bit, well, it's a fond memory. It's a fond, fond. memory because, you know, it, it has to do with my mom doing her best and i was young so young that i was oblivious to the reality of the situation and it's a happy memory my scariest movie that i ever saw when i was you know kind of out of the gate is i I have to say it's halloween um john carpenter's 1978 version i did not see that in the theater because i was way too young but i was old enough to know about the fact that it was doing really well and that everybody was talking about it. And I really wanted to see it because I did love Halloween and I didn't know anything about it other than the, the poster had a pumpkin and a knife. And there was also, if you ever look at the, the, the novel uh, adaptation of Halloween, you have Michael Myers in uh, a white sheet, like a ghost holding a knife. And I think there's a pumpkin on his head. So here, you know, here was all this this iconography of Halloween just drawing me in. So by the time I sat down to watch it, the planets just kind of aligned where I was alone at home. My family went out. For some reason, I was staying at home. I was probably only about 12 years old and sitting in the den in front of this old black and white TV that we used to have. And I watched Halloween on TV. It wasn't even cable. It was like commercial interruptions. And it scared the living shit out of me <laughs> and i remember being riveted and not only that you know the movie ended and my family wasn't home yet so i had to like move around the house you know and and dodge every shadow and corner and make my way to my bed upstairs and hope that my family would arrive in one piece and not be killed by michael myers <laughs> that to this day i I, I have seen that movie so many times, and it's because that I think that obsession has to do with demystifying it and desensitizing the, the the fear. If I can deconstruct it and know every moment that happens, it won't scare the living shit out of me to this day. And so, that was that's my process. 
Yeah, I think maybe that resonated so much because it's not so much the case in Europe because it's not like the suburbia that you see in that movie, but that could have been anybody's neighborhood, we'll say. Oh, yeah. Michael Myers could be anywhere because you always see in American movies and TV if it's like Halloween themed and kids are trick-or-treating, it's like the same uh, suburbia everywhere. So I think that's why it resonated so much with people. Would that be true? I have very, very happy memories of Halloween and not of the movie, but of the holiday Um, where Halloween is concerned. I mean, as an adult to this day, uh, I, you know, other than disappointment in pretty much every sequel that's come out, um, I still I, I live near Pasadena in Southern California, where they shot a lot of the scenes for Haddonfield, Illinois. And so the old Myers house is still there and the the hedge that that the shape pops out of, you know, from behind or, you know, disappears from behind. I can make pilgrimages to all these little spots, you know, the the downtown store where, you know, Michael stole his mask. I love being able to do that right around Halloween while I play John Carpenter's theme in my car, you know, just to put me in the right mindset. Exactly. And I've seen on Instagram you had your face hugger costume so now that as a young lad you're getting scared by horror movies and now as a father how are you letting your son do you let him watch horror movies or are you a little bit more cagey now that you've kind of grown up in the horror well that's a it's a good question because he will definitely be exposed to horror when the time is right but he's still too young so i would be a bad parent (laughs) if i was exposing him to horror but he is a chip off the old block because he's always gravitated to the spookier elements of halloween uh you know he, he likes the grim reaper he likes skeletons he likes jack-o'-lanterns uh he's obsessed with nightmare before christmas which is whimsical but it's a little dark when he's old enough he'll definitely get a taste of horror and the fact that he knows that his dad you know was the editor of famous monsters of Filmland magazine He's had influence on the magazine because I'd show him the magazine and say, Dad, in the next magazine, would you put in a jack-o'-lantern or a scarecrow? And I'd say, sure. And I'd, I'd get it in there and I'd, just for him. And so he's sort of tuned into all that kind of stuff. And surprisingly, even though I've done zero to expose him to it, he knows who Chucky is. <laughs> he knows who Pennywise the Clown is. He He knows that Mike Myers is something there because they're – billboards everywhere now that say Halloween and you know he'd say he he wants to see it and I'd say well it's really kind of a movie for grown-ups it's not really about Halloween the, the holiday but when you're old enough you know you'll get to see it and he's pretty much satisfied with that answer and in fact he's he's so savvy that he'll say well oh, okay so that's not PG that's R okay I'll wait <laughs> right so the scenario is it's 40 years in the difference you watched Halloween back in the day. He's going to watch when this comes out in DVD. You come home, you see Halloween's up on the TV. He's watching it. Jaw on the floor. Is it tears of joy or are you going to be raging like, turn that off? Or will you be like, I'll be angry at him that he didn't watch the 1978 version <laughs> first. There will be a beating. Very good. And <laughs> will he be making any cameos <laughs> in the documentary? Sorry, to that point, I have to interject that... Um, you don't beat you know, your children. You're a good loves, father. Here we go, right? He, he loves Star Wars. 
and uh, and he only was into the original trilogy. And I did everything I could to make sure that he was not exposed to the prequels. But, you know, I know, I know it's inevitable and I had to really bite my tongue. But I do remember once he had asked my wife, I wasn't home, I was out. And he asked my wife if he could put in the third Star Wars. Now, he meant Return of the Jedi. But I have that that six DVD, six Blu-ray set. So my wife put in Revenge of the Sith. And I come home and Revenge of the Sith is like halfway through and I said, I was like, what is going on? Did he, did he request this? And she's like, well, yeah, he wanted the third Star Wars movie. I'm like, no, no, he wanted Return of the Jedi. Take this off now. And I remember, I remember. He snapped those three DVDs then. <laughs> anyway, I, I'm doing my best to raise my child correctly. <laughs> That's excellent. Is he going to be influencing the movie now at all? Seeing as he influenced famous monsters. Not really, not really, uh, because everything that's in this movie is, in my opinion, off limits to a seven-year-old, save for maybe, I don't know, killer clowns from outer space or something like that. Even that might leave a bad mark. Um, yeah, you know, the, the 80s, 80s cinema, in a very general sense, is really is really defined by practical effects and splatter and gore and excess and nightmarish phantasmagoric imagery and you know the iconic sort of mascots whether you're talking about freddy krueger or hellraiser or chucky you know michael myers um i think they're prevalent enough where if he gets exposed to it just seeing them and knowing their context that's okay but actually sitting down and watching these things play out uh it's just not appropriate just yet yeah that's fair enough and do you think i suppose you're doing the 80s horror documentary and jesus that's nearly 40 years ago now the 80s so in 40 years time do you think people will be making uh, a documentary about the state of horror right now what's your opinion on today's horror I think they I think they will because I think what we're going through right now is uh, is a a strong there's a strong element of of extensions of original franchises where you have you have the the people the actors and sometimes the filmmakers who launch the franchise making their return you know 20 30 40 years later to the franchise that launched their careers whether you're talking about you know Bruce Campbell or Jamie Lee Curtis, they're coming back. You know, even even Kevin Bacon wanted to come back and do Tremors. You know, uh, he did. He shot a pilot, and strangely enough, it didn't get picked up. But you know, people are coming back, and so they're the current trend is whether you're it's in the theaters or whether it's on Netflix or cable, is there's a nostalgia and appreciation for what came in the past. And if they can get people who are still, who are part of it to still be interested in return, it's getting the green light left and right. So if you look at this, at this era, you've got a variety of remakes, you know, Stephen King's movies are all now coming up for, you know, right for remakes, whether you're talking about Pet Cemetery or It as two movies. Um, when you're talking about the likes of Halloween and other things like that, if people aren't remaking them and rebooting them, it's a it's a continuation. And I think that's an interesting pocket of filmmaking to pay attention to, especially when it comes to genre filmmaking. Mm. 
So I suppose the likes, as you were just saying, like franchises coming back. Like, I mean, I obviously just mentioned Halloween's the 40th anniversary. Jamie Lee Curtis is coming back. It seems everything's like a franchise now, like the James Wan, uh, you know, cinema verse. He's mm-hmm. pumping out sequels. We have the more recent, very successful franchise, Saw, which kind of just died a death. But right. it kind of <laughs> half rebooted. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be rebooted. You've got to give these things 10, 15, 20 years. They wait for the next generation to come. And they and the generation that grew up watching it when they were too young, they're going to want a piece of Saw. And they're going to want Saw to continue on. Um, I, I, I think... I think in terms of where nostalgia is concerned, you have this repetition of decades where 20 years later, the people who grew up with it now want and now control the media, control advertising, control the sort of creative output of entertainment. Uh, oftentimes they find themselves wanting to go back and especially when you can bank on a sure thing like a, a known quantity, people will go back to these things. Mm. So, David, what's on the horizon now? What's keeping you busy in anticipation for when this project uh, kicks off? What are you getting up to a, lately? I have a thanks for asking. I mean, I've got, like I said, a bunch of plates spinning. A um, couple things that I, that have been really fun for me uh, are going to be rolling out, and that's uh, some some nostalgia-based stories looking back at anniversaries uh, for The Hollywood Reporter. So... Uh, First up is uh, is Nightmare Before Christmas. It's the 25th anniversary of that film uh, at the end of October. So by the time everyone's hearing this, uh, it should be out there. And um, so I did an interview with Henry Selleck. Uh, a lot of people mistakenly think that Tim Burton directed it, but it's Tim Burton's concept and he produced it. And Henry Selleck was the actual director and he has some really wonderful tales about making of that film and how it all came together and working with Tim. Um, I was talking about Chucky, Chucky's uh, Child's Play. The 30th anniversary of that movie is uh, in early November. And so I got a wonderful opportunity to talk to uh, Don Mancini, who's the screenwriter, the creator of, he created uh, and wrote the, the screenplay for child's play and then he became for every single movie in the franchise the writer and then the director of the last three so i talked to him i talked to producer david kirshner sorry and i talked to uh tom holland as well so all three of them discussed the making of uh and and the origins of chucky and uh i'm also working on gosh i've got two more i've got um i talked to ralph bakshi uh, the animation director who uh, we're coming up on the 40th anniversary of the animated Lord of the Rings movie, mm. which is a great film. And I uh, got to talk to him about that. And uh, I got another piece because I just talked to Philip Kaufman about Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So that's coming down as well. And all these are landing uh, by way of The Hollywood Reporter on uh, the, the anniversary date of their 25th, 30th, 40th anniversaries. Excellent. And I suppose then anyone listening who'd like to support what's left of the Kickstarter and, you know, contribute an extra cup of coffee for staff (laughs) and crew, what would be your final appeal then, given there's only three days left? My final appeal is that the more coffee that you can buy for me, the better the film will be. Um, 
no we 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 are it, it's a i'm looking for the analogy you know it's just uh so many people have been so delightful and interested and um in in contributing it it, it blows my mind and it, it, like i said it really shows the 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 voracious appetite people have for this genre and so people can go to the kickstarters and look for in in search of darkness a journey into iconic 80s horror you can go to all of our socials which is 80s horror doc you can look on facebook and uh twitter and instagram and you can not only uh back the project if you're interested in and get a copy and other cool stuff at various levels but you can interact with us and we're happy to interact and 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 you know it's also a forum for 80s horror and what people love and love to share about it awesome david always a pleasure to catch up with you and i'm sure we'll speak again at some stage and yes where can oh, we sorry yeah go on you you beat me to the punch <laughs> i was gonna say where can people find yourself online we've been talking about the horrors doc but you're also well established in your journalism so where can people see your musings yeah you can see my stuff on twitter at tiki ambassador tiki ambassador and then i have my own site which is called it came from you can go to it came from blog.com and the socials on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr are it came from blog or at it came from blog and you know contemporary musings uh, nostalgic musings lots of genre stuff and sci-fi fantasy horror collectibles all the stuff that uh, overflows from my brain and goes through my fingertips and I post it and uh, if anything it'll it might bring your a smile to your face because you'll say, oh my gosh, I haven't thought of that in years. And it's fun to know a little more. Excellent. Well, I'm really looking forward to it. David, thank you very much again for coming on and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Oh my gosh, sir. You're always, <laughs> you're always so generous. It's always a pleasure to chat with you, Richard. And uh, I wish you well. And your podcast is, is, has consistently been wonderful and you've been finding some extremely interesting guests and so i urge everybody who's listening to this to seek out more of uh the fear merchant and the stuff that you're doing excellency we look after each other david again thank you and everyone that was my chat with david weiner a fine bloke and you can check out the 80s horror doc hopefully i'll get some behind the scenes as it's going as he is the director i have him in my back pocket check all the show notes and I will see you again for the finale of season two, which is episode 52. See you then. Come back anytime.